This is District Sentinel Radio. It's the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We're broadcasting out of Pistown, Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. This is the show we do for you, our subscribers. Thank you for your support. Some new competition on the scene. Snapping my fingers like West Side Story fight over here. A new podcast beef we can cultivate, Sam Knight. The CIA is starting a podcast. Wow. It's always messed up uh, when your boss starts a side project and you hear about it like this. (laughs) It's called The Langley Files, the CIA's official podcast. Episode one, featuring CIA director William Burns. The podcast is supposed to bring the CIA out of the shadows to demystify the agency, featuring the director on episode one. Episode two, a discussion on MAGA communism. (laughs) (laughs) Did you listen to episode one? I did not. Did you? No, out of principle, I do not want to give them uh, the clicks. Don't want to give them the listens. Don't give people hate listens. That's why I've never listened to 30 seconds of Red Scare. <laughs> so so you haven't listened to that CIA podcast either. <laughs> I am keeping my ears pristine and clean here. Uh, maybe I'll read a transcript. You know, if if something big happens on a podcast, it, it, if something that you need to know about happens on a podcast, which, let's be frank, is rarely, you will hear about it, okay? I don't need to listen to William Burns uh, talk about the encryption on the CIA uh, coffee machine. Yeah, he's not going to say anything newsworthy. He's not going to just say, uh, well, we, uh, yes, we killed Kennedy. <laughs> uh, we hit Chavez with the cancer gun. In uh, more serious news here on Capitol Hill, looks like the Joe Manchin side deal is going down. These might be infamous last words that can be thrown back in my face when the corporate wings of both parties get together and push this thing across the finish line on behalf of the fossil fuel industry. But right now, the odds of this passing look pretty slim. Uh, This is the whole permitting reform proposal. Uh, We did get the text of it this week. It would limit environmental review of energy projects to one or two years. Uh, That includes offshore oil and gas drilling operations. We'd also get rid of pending challenges to a dirty-ass pipeline in Joe Manchin's home state of West Virginia, the Mountain Valley Pipeline, which will pollute the equivalent of like 25 million cars every year. This was the uh, deal that was agreed to to get Manchin to support the Inflation Reduction Act, which was considered the uh, historic investment in climate change. Well, here's the other half of it, which is going to make it easier to build fossil fuel infrastructure. Now, this proposal is currently in. Wow, sounds sounds like someone can't take the W. 
<laughs> Why can't we just celebrate this bill that Shell Oil is tweeting about how great it is? Uh, this is this this proposal Mansion's permitting reform bill. It's currently included in the spending resolution that needs to be passed out of Congress by the end of the month to avoid a government shutdown. But a group of Senate Democrats are calling for it to be taken out of this spending bill. Uh, that those they include Bernie Sanders, Tim Kaine, Elizabeth Warren, Ben Cardin, Chris Van Hollen, Tammy Duckworth, Cory Booker, and uh, Jeff Merkley, which is enough to sink this thing. You're going to need to get Republicans to replace those Democrats. And there aren't any Republicans coming forward saying that they're going to vote for it. Yeah, the, the Republican Party, as much as it loves to do uh, favors for the oil industry, um, it loves triggering the libs even more. So they will... <laughs> do, they, do they actually, these days, do you think the Republican Party cares more about triggering the libs than it does helping the oil industry? It's close because the whole triggering the libs is like kind of wrapped up into their embrace of fascism too. Like they do increasingly more fascist stuff under the guise of triggering the libs, like Ron DeSantis doing human trafficking to trigger libs, which we'll talk more about at the end of the show. But I do think there is um there's a competing Republican permitting reform proposal that Joe Manchin also supports. Mm. That goes even further to fast tracking fossil fuel projects, basically gets rid of environmental reviews of energy projects. And but can they get can they get Schumer to tack it onto the to the big spending bill that has to pass? That's that's the question. Right. That is the only scenario in which I see something like this happening is Republicans are going to hold out and say, we're not going to vote for this unless maybe you want to offer this as the permitting reform proposal instead of Joe Manchin's, which Manchin would be all about. And then you could get more than 10 Republicans to sign on to this bill. But uh, I don't see how that would pass the House. There is discussion that just bringing Manchin's permitting reform proposal for a vote and it failing means Democrats have lived up to their side of the bargain with Manchin here. So maybe it's been accepted that this is going nowhere, but they're still going to vote on it to strip it out or not include it and then try and get a spending bill to avoid a government shutdown. I was I was more uh, bullish on this passing a few weeks ago, just due to my cynicism about how things work on the Hill. But it actually looks like it might sink. Yeah, I guess uh, the the real um, the X factor here is what do Republicans see as triggering the libs? Do they see killing legislation that um, libs can turn around and use to show how how they can get things done do they see stopping that as being you know the the optimal lib triggering or i don't know maybe they want to join with 
other right wing Democrats, like I assume that John Tester is in favor of this, um, you know, among other other Democrats in the Senate. And do they see like pitting the right wing Dems against the left of center Dems? Do they see that as being the optimal level of lib triggering here? There's, I, think I think there's some unknowns here, but <laughs> I think by and large, they want at this point, based on the McConnell, the the Mitch McConnell principle of 2009, when he wanted to stop everything to try to make Obama a, a one-term president. I think under that principle, they're just trying to stop everything, even though they could probably trigger several libs uh, by getting this mansion provision passed. Yeah, well, they did sign on to the uh, to the BIF, you know, the bipartisan infrastructure right. framework, and passed that. But that was before they were betrayed by Mansion here. Before Mansion struck that deal on the Inflation Reduction Act, that they had a fucking meltdown over, and have now vowed to to kill anything. So I think it works both ways. They they want to defeat an agenda item and. If they can leverage their opposition to get something that's even more favorable to the fossil fuel industry across. So uh, it's all up to Chuck Schumer and what he's going to end up doing in the end. He seems to be really committed toward this deal he made with Joe Manchin, who has been a pretty shitty negotiator for a couple of years now with Democrats on what his lines are when it came to build back better and passing legislation and killing the child tax credit, um, really harming their midterm uh, election prospects, which have received a boost thanks to the Supreme Court and the Republicans lurching extremely far to the right and embracing just extremist Christian nationalism. But uh, Joe Manchin continues to get a lot of deference in this town because he uh, is just a corporate stooge. More interest rate hikes from the Federal Reserve this week, and Chairman uh, Jerome Powell is explicit that it's to weaken the labor market. The Fed projects GDP growth to shrink coming up. He said that the chances of a soft landing where you can bring down interest rates without crashing the economy are diminishing. Powell so added, let's hike those rates anyway. Fuck it. <laughs> Powell added, quote, uh, that's a very slow level of growth, referring to the projection of slowed growth. And it could give rise to increases in unemployment. But I think that is something that we think we need to have. We think we need to have softer labor market conditions as well. We're not going to say that there are too many people working. But but <laughs> but the real point is this inflation. What we hear from people when we meet with them is that they really are suffering from inflation, end quote. Uh, do those same people you're meeting with say, please take my job away from me too, Jerome? Is that what they're saying? Powell added, quote, if we want to set ourselves up, light the way to another period of a very strong labor market we have to get we have got to get inflation behind us i wish there was a painless way to do that there isn't so right now 
we are in a very strong labor market. And if we want to get where we are right now, (laughs) we have to basically take a wrecking ball to the labor market, which, again, is very strong right now. (laughs) You know, if my uh, uh, study of economics um, is not failing me, I believe there is a known... um, phenomenon in uh, monetary policy where there's a lag where they see that it takes several months for um, the full effect of rate rises to be felt. And I, I, I had a better understanding of this in a, in a practical way when I went to my bank, uh, my credit union earlier uh, this summer and I said, "Hey, what's up with your uh, with your CDs? Are are the rates are they going up now? Because the Fed, like, it was like a day or so after the FOMC met, and I was like, what, what's up with your rates? Are they are they going up? Like, should I buy certificates now? Should I wait? What, yo, what's yo, the deal? What's up with your rates? What's up with your rates? <laughs> what's up with and your they rates, said, Mister Bank Teller? And they they said uh, they adjust them quarterly. So, uh." On October first, I think we'll we'll see a, a delayed effect of some of the uh, more recent rate hikes. And Powell, what he seems to be saying here is that he's not going to stop hiking rates until he. I, for the record, he doesn't do this personally, right? He's part of a panel, but they're not going to stop hiking rates until they can see unemployment. But there's a delay. <laughs> so, by the time they see it so what it'll the be fuck? too late <laughs> yeah it'll uh you know yeah it's, it's like it's like shot breaks and you're going down the hill i don't know that's that's a poor analogy but you, you get my drift i do but it, it also assumes that the fed is interested in a soft landing when their primary goal is to crush the labor market right now sure Sure. And I this this has me thinking like maybe I should file a FOIA request uh, uh for any emails between Jerome Powell and uh Howard Schultz. <laughs> maybe Howard Schultz is like, "Look what they're doing to me. You got to raise these rates." That would be a good one next to our uh, Matt Iglesias one. Uh this <laughs> that, is from that, that, that'll be for next week. I didn't file it this week, so. Yeah, well. This is from CNN Business, quote, the Fed's latest economic projections released Wednesday alongside a massive third consecutive interest rate interest rate hike of 75 basis points show that the central bank is expecting the nation's unemployment rate to grow to 4.4% next year, up from August 3.7%, and potentially as high as 5%. Assuming no change in the labor force, that would mean around 1.2 million more people will be unemployed. At the high end of the Fed's range, at 5%, that would mean 2.2 million more unemployed people. And, and of course, they will have less money to spend, and the Fed has committed itself to this, this tight monetary policy. We know that Congress isn't going to get anything done in terms of any sort of uh, uh, fiscal stimulus. So this is the, w- what you're describing here is setting us up for a vicious cycle. Yeah. And it's wild that he's doing this just ahead of midterm elections. 
And the Biden White House is just like, well, we respect what the Fed is doing here. <laughs> well, Cucked. you can't uh, criticize what the Fed is up to. It's the one good thing Trump did. Senator Bernie Sanders can't get any dang support on a resolution condemning a potential coup in Brazil. This is a resolution introduced by Bernie and Tim Kaine. Bernie told the Washington Post, quote, we've not been able to get one Republican member of the Senate to make it clear that there must be free and fair elections in Brazil. Brazil's election is next month. Current fascist twerp president Jair Bolsonaro is behind in the polls to former president Luiz Inacio del Silva or Lula. But Bolsonaro has reportedly been considering other means of retaining power. He's been pulling the Trump card and claiming that the upcoming election will be fraudulent. He's ah, been probing Trump card. Nice. He's been probing the military to determine support for an armed takeover should he lose. And a group of businessmen in the country were busted hosting secret meetings where they discussed possible coup scenarios to keep Bolsonaro in power. Basically trying to do a business plot here in Brazil. Uh, so shit is getting wild and not a single Republican senator seems to care, which honestly is exactly what you'd expect. You know, you got to at least uh, admire the uh, consistency. They want rigged elections in the United States. Uh, they want rigged elections in Brazil. So. You know. Yeah. And they're about to do the same shit here, or at least try to in uh, in two years. We're not the only ones who've been keeping track of the moves by National Labor Relations Board General Counsel Jennifer Abruzzo to help workers unionize. So, too, is the nation's most notorious union-busting firm, Littler Mendelssohn. The company released its annual Labor Day report, and it referenced Abruzzo. <laughs> it wrote, quote, When Joe Biden was running for president, he made clear that he intended to be the most union-friendly president in U.S. history. Throughout the course of the last year, we have seen a push by Biden appointees, in particular NLRB Board General Counsel Jennifer Abruzzo, to overhaul our nation's labor laws. With a commanding three to one Democratic board majority and the continued push by Abruzzo to rework U.S. labor law, we are on the cusp of witnessing what has the potential to be one of the most pro union eras in modern history. End quote. Hard to read the tone. Are they scared by that or do they see this as an opportunity to wage more union busting wars up ahead? I mean, based on how they've taken L after L with Starbucks, I think they're a little scared. But think I, of, think, I, def, I think they're absolutely scared. Maybe. Because if they, well, if they can't convince multinationals to pay them hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, millions of dollars to stop union elections because they can't stop union elections then I think they're a little scared. I, I, I know the logic behind, oh, well, if there's a wave of uh, labor organizing, they'll get more business because they'll need to be hired by uh, management. But their reputation's taken a little bit of a battering here, and I think they're, uh, they're, they're trying to work the ref here. Perhaps, perhaps. I do. Unless there's been a new development, I still think they're retained by Starbucks right now, even though they've lost something like over 250 union yes. elections. 
like 80% of the contests that have been held, they've lost. Um, I mean, does Starbucks just hire a different firm? Do they, it's, it seems like an unwinnable war and they're like Raytheon or, or Lockheed Martin when it came to stopping the opium product poppy production in afghanistan it's like yes give us contracts to stop it but if we never actually stop it you'll just have to keep giving us contracts every year yeah but none of the anti-narcotic no one gave a shit if the poppy production stopped or not you mean <laughs> the u.s people, government people, didn't give a, kid, yeah, give a shit no yeah, absolutely not true. no one in the ruling class cared one way or another and uh, they definitely care about this true well I guess we'll see how long Starbucks retains the services of uh, Littler Mendelssohn. Shitler. Shitler Mendelssohn. By the way, it looks like there's probably going to be a rail strike. Uh, Workers are not happy with the tentative agreement. Informational pickets took place on Wednesday at terminals across the country. Uh, Was dubbed as a practice picket where workers... Uh, talked about their working conditions and how the tentative agreement doesn't go far enough. Uh, A lot of the major unions still haven't seen the language of this. They're just now seeing it. So uh, they definitely haven't had a chance to vote on it. That probably won't even happen until next month with a lot of these major unions, including the two biggest one, uh, the the, uh, engineers and conductors unions. There could be a strike as soon as Friday when the machinist union who rejected their own tentative agreement and set a deadline for next Friday to go on strike could walk out. And if they go on strike, then the other unions won't cross a picket line. So this could happen very soon. And it's going to make Joe Biden look stupid as shit when he was walking around touting how he struck a deal to avert a rail strike a few weeks ago. When really all he did was try to jam workers with a deal that still didn't go far enough, which is only increasing pressure on the workers. I mean, my guess is if they do, if a strike, if this TA is voted down, if a strike happens, Democrats in Congress act to kill it, to force force a, force a contract on them. Ooh, yeah, th- I, I can definitely see that happening. Um and the in the in the agreement that Biden struck gives them cover to do that. The way he like did a whole victory lap and said, "Oh, this was the greatest deal," even though there was no real movement. On, yeah, on all on it paid, did, there was no movement on paid sick leave. There was no paid sick leave in the deal, which right. was like the sticking point. Yeah, and the provisions in the TA are like, "Yeah, we'll let you take an unpaid sick day if you give us thirty days notice, or like for to go see a doctor." If you yeah, give us 30 day notice, works. and it can only that's be how... on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Flu. You'll have to come back uh, in a month's time on a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. Anyway, something to keep an eye on. Something to keep an eye on. Well, full support to the rail workers if they uh, decide to strike and if they get overruled by Congress and they want to take things uh, to extra legal territory, (laughs) maybe they should. It's getting uh, 19th century up in this. (laughs) 
Let's turn now to uh, FOIA. SK, what are you looking at? The Department of Interior has responded to a request that we filed this summer for emails sent to and from Secretary Deb Holland about the Willow Project, ConocoPhillips's plan to drill oil reserves expected to produce up to 180,000 barrels per day at a time when we really, really, really need to keep fossil fuels in the ground. I swear, everywhere you look in the news, it's like, ramping up production. We're ramping up production here. <laughs> Bringing more oil online. Natural gas booms. Ugh. Clean coal revolution. <sighs> Sorry, I... Uh... Just went into a despair hole just now. You might recall how the Biden administration controversially announced its support for the project last spring amid a lawsuit, and that the project requires ConocoPhillips to employ cooling agents to keep drilling equipment moored in the permafrost, which is melting because our economy is based on the burning of oil extracted by companies like ConocoPhillips, and said company's accumulation of capital. Now, on to our request. It was partially denied by Interior, which released 50 pages in full, and we'll get to what was released in a second. It's unclear what was partially denied, however, what was withheld and why. Interior only noted the following, quote, Congress excluded three discrete categories of law enforcement and national security records from the requirements of the FOIA. This response is limited to records that are subject to the requirements of the FOIA. This is a standard notification that is given to all our requesters and should not be taken as an indication that excluded records do or do not exist. So uh, it kind of sounds like we've been glomarred. <laughs> there was a partial denial. They didn't say what was denied and why. Uh, they just gave us boilerplate language and uh, said the records may or may not exist. So, yes, that seems to me like it is a so-called glomar response in which the agency won't say if it has the records, but says that if it does, it won't release them anyway. The name Glomar comes from a ship built in the 1970s by the CIA and weirdo billionaire Howard Hughes. The ship was called the Hughes Glomar Explorer. The vessel was commissioned to try to salvage a sunken Soviet submarine. News of the expedition was leaked, but when a reporter sought records from the CIA, the agency dodged the question by coining the phrase, neither confirm nor deny, the name Glomar was thus immortalized to refer to when government agencies rely on the same trick to keep the public in the dark. So, I don't know. It kind of sounds like we've been Glomard here. <sighs> Either way, I have no idea why Interior partially denied the request, but wouldn't say what was being withheld or why. If I had to guess, I would say the melting permafrost might have something to do with this. Although perhaps there are just general national security and law enforcement exemptions involved uh, with oil structure just across the board. Whatever the case, our legal options are being explored and, a, uh, an, admi ad and an administrative appeal 
might be coming. That is a tough phrase to say, unadministrative appeal. Yeah, I wouldn't even try that. But we are, uh, we're always considering our legal options for such an appeal. We are always, always considering. ABC, always be considering your legal options. YLO. Now, back to what Interior did release. It was mostly letters of support for Willow that were forwarded to Interior by staffers for Senator Lisa Murkowski and uh, the late Congressman Don Young. Of note, identical language was used in three of these letters sent by a construction company, a labor organization called the Alaska Petroleum Joint Crafts Council, and the Alaska AFL-CIO. Three organizations used the exact same rhetoric praising the project for its environmental review process, its plan to respect caribou, and for its planned use of electric power to rigs, which sounds kind of like putting a Band-Aid over just a gaping machete wound. So we're taking 100,000 barrels of oil out of the ground every day, uh, but don't worry, we're, we're powering our operation with solar panels. It's fine. There was only one record of opposition to the Willow Initiative. Congressman Raul Grijalva's staff emailed Interior to inform them that the lawmaker was disappointed in Secretary Holland for backing the project. Depressingly, in addition to the support from labor, several city councils near the proposed drilling site passed resolutions calling for extraction to move forward. They're all majority native Alaskan Inupiat talking about how much they love the oil industry, how important it is, etc. And uh, assuming that's genuinely representative of local opinions up there, and there's reason to doubt that. I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But assuming that is representative of the local opinions, that is just, I don't know, that's pretty depressing. That's pretty disheartening. Even if the oil companies are as responsible as they say they are on paper about spills and respecting caribou, there's no responsible way to extract hundreds of thousands of barrels of oil every day. Not on this planet. We already, we got enough carbon in the atmosphere. We're we're dealing with that. We got to deal with that first. Especially, especially on that news that all the uh, carbon capture programs or the whole like uh, where you've, every unit of pollution you have, you plant some trees somewhere, carbon offsets. Yeah. It's all a scam. Like all the new research came out this week showing that none of these projects are meeting their goals of of truly offsetting the pollution that they're supposed to offset. Yeah. I mean, there's been reporting in the past that they just, they uh, take trees that are not in any way threatened by industry whatsoever. And they rope them into their, uh, you know, they cite them as underlying assets in the carbon credits. So um, not at all surprising that, more and more people are saying this shit is a fucking scam. There's also been some updates on the Willow Project since we filed our request in June last year. In July of this year, the Biden administration issued a new environmental assessment for Willow. 
which was necessary for the project to move forward because a federal judge had ruled that the Trump administration failed to conduct a proper assessment. The Alaska congressional delegation wants uh, the Biden administration to hasten the forward-moving progress. They uh, urge the agency, including newly elected Democrat Mary Peltola, uh, they urge the agency to move forward with permitting, quote, in time for winter construction season. There's also been news on the opposition front. Congressman Grijalva and two of his colleagues sent a letter to ConocoPhillips in recent months seeking answers about a month-long natural gas leak in February at another one of its sites on Alaska's North Slope. The Washington Post reported on the accident and quoted the mayor of a North Slope town, Rosemary Atuangaruak, who called it, quote, a horrendous few weeks to go through in our village. The mayor of a town called Nuiksut testified this week before the House Natural Resources Committee. Atuangaruak talked about the leak and criticized Willow Project, saying it, quote, would have devastating and permanent impacts to our community and way of life. No record of her criticism in the interior files I was given, by the way. I don't know what's up with that. Maybe uh, maybe Congressman Young's people uh, forgot to forward it, or maybe they just didn't reach out. I don't know. It's not just her either. This is from an article published last month by High Country News, which covers the Western United States. Quote, Sikinyik Maupin, director of the advocacy group Sovereign Inupiat for a Living Arctic, has family in Nuiqsut, who say that the proposed oil and gas development is too fast and too much. During the first round of environmental reviews in 2019, more than 100 residents showed up to a local meeting to voice their concerns. In 2020, draft environmental impact statement hearings began, and residents, along with some tribal leaders, asked the Bureau of Land Management to pause the process until the pandemic was under control, there were residents and tribal elder leaders in tears asking the Bureau of Land Management to stop. Maupin said they remain concerned about the new review. Weirdly, all this uh, didn't make it into the interior records I was given. Got a uh, bad feeling about this, Sam Knight. Usually when we let the garbage can sit for a few weeks, we didn't do a show last week. When it's been sitting for a few weeks... It's really bad. But we've got work to do. Interns, bring out the garbage can. Ooh, I was oh, right. Wow. Oh, man, I was right. Oh, wow. Wow, I, I did not know that pizza crust could smell like that. Or look like that. Oh, my goodness. Oof. In just two weeks? There had to be something else in there. That uh, I feel like whatever we've been putting in there is becoming sentient. <laughs> it's like the movie Tremors, where uh, I don't know. I I can just the vision in my head is that the garbage can uh something will crawl out of the garbage can and burrow its way into the Earth's crust, where it will. Uh, roam around feeding on people that it detects because they're walking around. 
Yeah, we it, we might have created a monster here, Sam. We might have created a tremor. We got to get Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Someone protect Kevin Bacon. Anyways, it is a fitting home for any one of these upcoming garbage candidates. First and foremost, garbage candidate number one, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, for all his human trafficking that he's doing to own the libs. The uh, migrant flights that happened last week to Martha's Vineyard. Republican governors have been doing this for a while, by the way. I know that this is getting a lot of attention when these flights ended up at Martha's Vineyard, but Texas Governor Abbott has been doing this shit in D.C. for months. As listeners of the show know, when we interviewed uh, Claire a few months ago about this um, and the work uh, that various organizations are doing to care for these migrants that arrive here from Texas. Anyways, these Martha's Vineyard flights are particularly bad because it looks like this was also an attempt to force deportation of these individuals. They're... uh, They were given incorrect information about how to check in. Uh, Their records were forged by DHS agents that would uh, lead to them not getting the materials they need to make their asylum claims. And then, therefore, they would immediately be placed on deportation lists. It also looks like DeSantis did all this in the most corrupt way possible. The company he relied on for these charter planes a major donor to the Republican Party in the state. This is from the Daily Beast, quote, Vertol Systems, which was founded in Oregon, but has ties to the Florida panhandle. Was the company hired for the gig. They reaped more than $12,000 per migrant to transport the group from San Antonio, Texas to Massachusetts with stopovers in Florida and South Carolina. The president of Vertol, James Montgomery, has contributed exclusively to GOP causes, both individually and through his company in Florida. It's according to campaign finance records. That includes donations of the Florida legislators, legislature's appropriations chief and the state's Republican uh, Party. So, yeah, obviously uh, some some graft happening here on top of the uh, human trafficking, using people as pawns. The more you learn about this, it gets worse and worse. Yeah. I think that uh, Governor DeSantis uh, would look good being parodied in Minecraft. (laughs) Garbage candy number two, President Joe Biden went on 60 Minutes over the weekend and said that the pandemic is over. 3,000 people dying every week still of the pandemic. So not only is this completely heartless and cruel thing to say. It also works against his own agenda because Biden is asking Congress for more pandemic funding. So Republicans immediately seized on his comments and said, well, you just said the pandemic's over, so I guess you don't need funding. Also, Biden's student debt relief proposal, the legality of it, the administration decided to ground in the HEROES Act, which was Legislation that allowed the education department to change loans in the event of an emergency. That emergency being the pandemic. If Biden says that there's no longer a pandemic. That could give an argument to these right wing forces that are right now trying to find a lawsuit to challenge. The uh, debt relief proposal. 
This is just a terrific boner from Joe Biden here. Garbage candy number three, Democrat apartheid defenders. Whew. Uh, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib made some very accurate comments about how you can't be a progressive while supporting the apartheid government in Israel. Well, it elicited a huge backlash from other Democrats who claim to be uh, progressives. We had Debbie Wasserman Schultz come forward to, uh, and this was all on Twitter. All these uh, Democrats took to Twitter to call out Rashida Tlaib. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, quote, the outrageous progressive litmus test on Israel by Rashida Tlaib is nothing short of anti-Semitic. Proud progressives do support Israel's right to exist as a Jewish and democratic state. Suggesting otherwise is shameful and dangerous. Divisive rhetoric does not lead to peace. There was Congressman Jerry Nadler who chimed in, said, quote, I fundamentally reject the notion that one cannot support Israel's right to exist as a Jewish and democratic state and be a progressive. Sam Knight, I know you were on uh, Twitter responding to each of these members of, of Congress on Thursday. Your take on uh, this garbage candidate? Very strong. It's a it's a very strong garbage candidate. Um, yeah, this is just, uh, I don't know. I mean, it feels like it's like 2008 in some respects. Like, yeah, duh, Israel is bad. Israel is not a democracy. It's an apartheid regime. And none of these and Democrats. The, and they know this. They know this. Yes, which they're is not why trying they're to challenge their, that. No, they're saying, oh, we, it's Jewish and democratic. Well, how does it stay, quote unquote, Jewish and democratic? Yeah, and, and Tlaib didn't. In, any details there? Tlaib didn't go as far as we would go in saying that Israel doesn't have a right to exist. She wasn't even broaching that question. She was simply talking about the current the current government in Israel that is pursuing apartheid policies. That is what should be opposed by progressives. Now, that seems like a slam dunk. That seems like an easy thing to say. Yeah, it's it's, it's funny, that, but all these um, meltdowns over stuff that Congresswoman Tlaib says, like she's usually softballing it, right? I mean, like, I don't know. She, she should have gone further. <laughs> also... I guess what I do have, um, I feel like the most controversial thing about this statement is her use of the term progressive, which is like, does that even mean anything anymore? No, it doesn't mean anything anymore. I mean, progressives are out championing NATO, uh, talking about how Joe Manchin's permitting reform thing is a good idea. And uh, yeah, now you got a few of them here who are criticizing Rashida Tlaib and defending apartheid. So yeah, it doesn't mean anything. Garbage candidate number four, David Malpass. He's the president of the World Bank and apparently doesn't believe in man-made climate change. He was criticized hmm. by, by Al Gore for continuing to finance fossil fuel projects. And when he was asked about that criticism during a New York Times event, Malpass refused to say whether or not he believed human activity is causing the warming of the planet. Malpass eventually said, quote, I'm not a scientist. You know, oh, I'm not a scientist. A good, re How could good, I know? good reason to defer to them. Look, uh, if I jumped off a building, would I hit the ground? I don't know. I'm not Isaac Newton. I don't fucking know the answers to these questions. 
Malpass has been uh, walking back his comments since on Thursday he told CNN he accepts the evidence of climate scientists about man-made global warming, but calls for him to resign are growing and so are calls for him to be garbage canned. Garbage can number five, Larry Summers. He was this week's rich dick on Means Morning News. Looks like he's trying to do the double here. Get the uh, garbage canning as well. He's nominated for his bad posts. This week he was on Twitter. Trying to put his finger on uh, some sort of social phenomenon. That explains why people don't want to work at the moment. Not addressing the fact that companies aren't paying people enough to work. But here was Summers' quote, There is some social phenomenon which I suspect explains non-work, non-marriage, deaths of despair, general alienation, and I suspect the rise of reactionary populism. It should be a major task of social science to understand it. Please erase everything I've ever done. <laughs> Please delete it. I'm hitting control Z. How do I get rid of this? This dude, there is no one who bears greater responsibility over the last 30 years for the immiseration of the working class than Larry Summers, who has served as the Treasury Secretary under Bill Clinton, pushed through lots of deregulation at the end of Clinton's administration that led to the various recessions we've seen since then. He was Obama's chief of uh, Obama's Economic Council, where he made sure that the stimulus package was not big enough to help working class people, all the while supporting huge bailouts for bankers. And the day after, the day after Summers was tweeting this, oh, what is this social phenomenon that explains why people don't want to work and have alienation? Summers tweeted out praise for the Federal Reserve's actions to hike interest rates, saying slower growth and higher un unemployment. Good to see. Good to see. Slower growth and higher unemployment. He loves it. God. He absolutely Larry loves it. Larry Summers just absolutely loves slower growth and higher unemployment, especially the higher unemployment. That gets him going like nothing else. <laughs> His nips are razor sharp. He was a world he was a World Bank head. Yeah, chief economist of the World Bank. 91 to 93. And that that tenure was marred by him uh, writing a memo saying that underdeveloped countries, um, all the pollution should be there for economic reasons. And he later claimed he was, oh, I was just being ironic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was also really involved in uh, the neoliberalization of Russia in the early 90s as well. That's right. That's right. And uh, when he was head of Harvard, he said that women w women's brains cannot handle math and science. I believe. Oh, God. He made the uh, cover of Time Magazine's The Committee to Save the World that featured him and Bob Rubin. And the uh, article didn't mention that they were also the committee that had destroyed the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We are... We're on course for giving him a lifetime achievement garbage canning here. So I don't know, maybe, maybe we should uh, dial some of this back before we yeah. go out of our purview here. Finally, garbage can number six, the CIA, we mentioned it at the top. They're starting a podcast. Too many podcasts, especially 
Too many CIA podcasts. No need for this. All right. Who do we like for the garbage can this week? I mean, uh, you know, we did make a very strong argument for Larry Summers. I'm a little bit hesitant to give him the double. We don't do the double often. I don't know if we've ever done the double. If we did the double, I'm not sure Larry Summers should be the first one that gets it. There are so many good candidates this week. Um, I'm leaning Ron DeSantis. I am as well leaning Ron DeSantis. Well, then let's do it. Ron DeSantis, you're going in the garbage garbage can. can. Oh, your big suit doesn't fit. Oh, let's just cram them in. Push them in more. Push, cram, cram, (laughs) cram. Ah, you can see the stink lines coming off his, uh, his comb over. That is the show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. We will be back next week with a brand new episode. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be.